Welcome to Crypto Talk Radio, the podcast for everyday investors like you. Visit us on the web at CryptoTalkRadio.net. And now, here's your host, Leister. Thank you for that, Bailey, and welcome everybody out there in Crypto Talk Radio found at CryptoTalkRadio.net. Ladies and gentlemen, I will have fun covering today's episode, and some will talk about cryptocurrency as I usually do, but some will not talk directly about cryptocurrency. However, they are hilarious topics. They may affect cryptocurrency in a, in a very surface way. I think that they're entertaining, and I want to cover them. My name is Leister. I'm your host. If you're new, welcome. If you're not new, welcome back. And I'm going to crash course today because I am going to avoid certain topics that people may be expecting. I'm going to avoid the whole poof hair, Sam Bankman Freed fiasco, Caroline Ellison fiasco. I'm going to avoid all of it. You can check on that online. I'll share my thoughts when it dies down. That things are going the way that I expected, and that's disappointing. It's, it's not unexpected, you know, but I'm disappointed that they chose to go this route instead of doing the right thing for business, for the overall business of cryptocurrency. They're not doing it. So it is what it is. I'm not going to talk about that. Let's focus numbers first, real top here. Looking at Coindesk.com, and I zoom out to the month chart, and you may have noticed some weird things going on with Ethereum versus Bitcoin. Ethereum took a crap, ladies and gentlemen. Ethereum went down, sharply down, and trending further downward. There's a couple of activities that occurred that contributed to this downward movement I will be discussing here momentarily. Meanwhile, Bitcoin is hovering roughly in a middling state. It went down, but nowhere near as low as Ethereum. And it turns out that there's a little bit more buy pressure on the Bitcoin side than on the Ethereum side. Bitcoin, of course, over the 24 hours, a low of 27, roughly 27.3, a high of 27.7. So in a very middling state compared to Ethereum, which was, it, in terms of the 24, it wasn't a lot. But in terms of the overall, it was significant over the month span. So in last 24, it stabilized ever slightly. There's some theories that it's going to go down again. Right now, it's 15.5 to 15.9, just shy of 1,600. So it's it's stabilized. But this all happened prior to the 24 hours. It happened overnight. And a couple of events, again, I'll talk about here momentarily, contributed to what we saw. And it freaked some people out, and that caused some FOMO selling. That didn't help matters. I will talk about everything that I believe contributed to some of the worst of it. The long term is still positive. The 2024 is still positive. It may push back to maybe Q2, but the long-term still looks positive according to trend graphs that I'm looking at. Let's get into some news and I'm going to be jumping back and forth just as a fair warning. At the top, this is around gaming. Now, I don't follow most of the modern games. They all look like crap. They're all the same. They're trying to look too realistic. They hire all these actors the actors know that movies are failing, and so they jump to video games. A video, you know, a movie used to be 20 bucks for a ticket. Video game is 60, now 70 bucks a pop. And so they know that they can make more money by just simply having those actors, you know, be motion capped, aka mo capped, into video games so they can get more money out of you and I. They know what the game is, no pun intended. So I don't follow a lot of it because most of these games are crap. I do game, but nowhere near like I used to, and I'm more on the older games when we actually allow developers to have freedom and liberties and do their own thing, express their art, to quote Kenny Olivier. Well, apparently, and I was coming after this after the fact, I didn't know this, but apparently 
Developers with Unity, which is a game engine, were up in arms, frustrated, pissed off at changes that were happening coming from Unity. The organization apparently was leveraging a new fee. And this fee, I'll talk details about it, but they call it a runtime fee. I had never heard of a runtime fee, although being a technologist myself, I can kind of think what the concept was. And then if I put my business hat, I can kind of get a sense of what they may have been describing with this business. So let me try to simplify the background for what this means. In this engine, the way it works, it's called it. The engine itself is called a runtime and the runtime is it's required to make the thing work. It's one of the pieces that makes the thing work. The way that Unity was doing this is if you passed a certain revenue threshold in the past year and a certain number of people having it installed, your game that you created, they were going to start charging a, quote, runtime fee on top of this business. And essentially, it's, a, it's essentially cutting into their profits because, you know, if you made and they came with a threshold of 200000 in revenue, which isn't a lot, but they came with this threshold and said, essentially, we're going to start charging some fees at this low tier. And then as you get higher, so then over a million dollars in revenue, we're going to start charging a little bit more. And then the number of people that you have, it's going to start applying. And it's essentially a price increase as far as, because you already have to pay for access to the Unity engine. This got all these developers absolutely up in arms, absolutely livid, absolutely pissed off. Because again, it cuts into your profit margin. Many game developers, if you didn't know, spend a lot of money to develop the game. You have the money for the hardware, money for your internet, money for the staffing, the people, the software that's necessary. And they dug in the developers and determined that, well, what happens if, you know, somebody has to reinstall? What happens if your PC craps out? Because there's a, it counts the number of user installs and is not necessarily smart enough to understand if it's the same user. Unity came out and said, no, it's not going to nail you if they reinstall. But the problem, and I'm, this is me speaking, the problem is, is that their technology cannot know it's the same user that just happens to reinstall on a different computer. Let's say you have one person, as like myself, I've got like five, six computers circling around me. What if I wanted to install it on all six just because? That's six installs that developer is going to get nailed. This is why the developers are getting pissed off. So, they started flacking on Unity. They started flacking on them and they gave some reasons specifically why this is even worse than just the deployed game. Some of this I hadn't even thought about. Demos. A demo is the game. It is the engine. You have to have the runtime to develop the game in order to deploy it. Well, the demo doesn't, they don't make any money off the demo. Early access on Steam. They make no money off this. So if you build the game, you deploy the game, you're going to get nailed just because you're trying to give the customer a demonstration so they can try out your game. If you do games that don't have DRM, it means that, which is digital rights management, it means that that theoretically, you know, you get yar, piracy going on where they could steal your game and then it gets worse because those are counted as installs with through no fault of your own. Let's say that the game is a part of a bundle. Let's say you have multiple games that you build and you want to provide and it's part of a bundle offering. You're going to get nailed times however many are in the bundle. Similar concept with giveaways. If some other organization chooses to give away or, you know, I'm talk radio essentially. What if I do chose to do a giveaway here at CryptoTalkRadio.net? Let's say I did. 
that developer is going to get nailed just because I, in good faith, I'm trying to increase awareness about the product. Any updates? What if the update uninstalls the software, reinstalls the software? They're going to get nailed on this one. On and on and on. And they gave very good, I thought, concepts for what this is why this is a problem. And it got me thinking, maybe this is why games started going down to crap. Because if you didn't know, the Unity engine is largely used for these lesser games like pixel games as well as mobile games. And with the rise of mobile games, subscription services, with the rise of this, I'd say, commodity offering of gaming, Unity became very popular as an engine to quickly get the games out the door. When this fee structure came out, it didn't surprise me as a business owner because obviously as a business, they want to be able to make that money, money, yeah, yeah, <laughs> right? It's, it's obvious. Unity was doing all they could to try to defend and deflect and do all this to get in front of it. This was scheduled to start on January 1st. It's no longer going to start January 1st because of this pushback. Recently, this just happened, I believe it was yesterday, the CEO of Unity announced basically he's, quote, leaving. We know what that means. <laughs> we know what that means. He's not leaving because of the flack. That's interesting. He's not leaving because of the flack. He's leaving because of comments that he made around the reason that he's flack, getting flack. Well, here's what happened. Apparently, in a conversation, he was caught on, he was caught saying things that made it seem like the gamers were the ones at fault. And it essentially exposed that the, the root reason why they were doing this was to make money, obviously, like I told you, right? Quote, these game makers don't understand the importance of monetization. They're the biggest fucking idiots possible. That's directly what it was. Now, after he makes these comments and after he's caught on record for this business, now it gets even worse. So he's already pissed off the developers because of the fee. The developers now want his head. He wants them out of here. It's, there's change or petitions. There's all sorts of stuff. Get, there's posts all over the web. It goes viral to get this guy out of here. So now he's out of here. So bottom line, what does this mean and how does it relate to cryptocurrency? I talked about this one first because if you heard me before and on our Discord, I said that I think the killer app is gaming. But I also said that it feels like the gaming organizations don't get it. They don't understand how cryptocurrency can benefit them financially to get them to their aims without, and get rid of some of the garbage of the legacy models of making money. You like how I tie that together, don't you? Because here's the thing. If you, his, let's say his beef is just, we got to monetize the offering of our, of our software that we put out there. Can you imagine if blockchain were a part of the installation, deployment, management, the, the volume that goes through the blockchain in order to allow the game to do what it's doing in a non-disruptive fashion and use that volume to affect price movement, which can do what? Provide tokens, tokenization, tokens, which then can provide what? Revenue, just by virtue of using the software. Now it's not a disincentive to do installs. It's not a disincentive to have multiple computers. It's not a disincentive to do demos you actually can make money off of free demos. Think about it. If the demo is just the software provided to be able to play it, and the demo is using blockchain technologies and generating volume with transactional things that are transparent to the gamer, you take that and you multiply that by even just 100,000 gamers. You tokenize some of that traffic and you do traffic on the, on the blockchain. Now you can sell those tokens and do what? 
generate revenue off of a free product. But the gaming companies don't get it because they're stuck in the past and they're stuck in legacy models and they don't understand why that makes sense and why I keep emphasizing that it's a killer application. This CEO, who is an older person, by the way, this CEO never stopped to think about how can we leverage, in this case, cryptocurrency to fill the gap that we see by leveraging this volume of people who have a lot of people, a lot of traffic, a lot of activity, a lot of installs, a lot of cells. How can we generate volume using blockchain technologies and with tokenization generate a source of revenue doing nothing additional and making an incentive to get more installs, even if it's just a demo, even if it's a bundle, even if it's a giveaway. Can you imagine if we do giveaways, some game developer, some manufacturer of the product says, as part of my software, it's leveraging blockchain technologies. You who are sponsoring the giveaway will provide, the blockchain will issue you tokens as your campaign runs. The more people you get on board, the more tokens you get. You're being paid for a service in the form of tokens you can sell and make some money doing nothing other than pitching a product. This is the vision that they lack because they're so stuck in the bubble of the way things were done before, which is we're just going to nail you with extra charges just to do the thing you were doing. This is why I'm so against cloud gaming and why I'm always, not, I'm away, I'm not a fan, I'm far away from digital games because you lose control, you as a gamer, you lose control of your pocketbook. With a physical game, you buy it, you're done. They don't get any more money out of you. When things went digital, when things went mobile, when things went to this world, all of a sudden they're going to find more ways to get money out of somebody. And if they can't get money out of you with free-to-play traps, they'll go after developers. If they go after developers, they're going to stop making games or they'll stop making quality games. Nobody wants that. If you're, whether you're, let's say you're a parent, you shouldn't want that for your kids. But if you're a gamer, you damn sure don't want it. That's, that's likely the reason why so many games come out and they're crap because many of the developers are not trying anymore. There's no incentive to do it. Everything is profit driven. And I think that's the demise of it. And it's a sad because we had an opportunity to use cryptocurrency to do the same thing, to end up in the same outlet, to end up in the same place with the same revenue potential. Now, Let's spin over to cryptocurrency and let's talk about Ethereum. Let's talk about why Ethereum took a crap and why it was unexpected for it to have taken a crap. Very recently, Valkyrie, which is an investment organization, got approval from the SEC to get the Ethereum futures, an ETF or Ethereum futures exchange traded funds. One of nine. This moved the needle ever slightly. We got that pump. This happened about a week and a half ago-ish. We got that pump. Very recently, though, this is as of, I think, a day or two ago, possibly, Ethereum took a crap. Plunged way down, hit down, and then bounced back up. It did rebound, and there were people that were not selling. This came from some sales, but some liquidations that occurred as part of this business. A couple of activities ha happened here. Number one, the Ethereum Foundation actually sold a fair amount of, I think it was like 1,700 Ethereum. They sold some of this. There was a little bit of... FOMO, not a lot, but there was a lot of liquidations that came from the shift in positions. We also saw on the chain, some of these altcoins started trashing out. There was dumps and that kind of stuff. It all is a domino effect. So in an, in a space where most everything was in the green, Ethereum took this little bit of a bounce and, and it rebounded very well. I'm not saying that we 
completely lost the plot. But I think it's important to understand with the Ethereum Foundation's action, it was able to significantly shift at least some of the market for Ethereum, and it did not affect Bitcoin. This means that you have kind of a divergence now. You can understand that it's not necessarily true that Bitcoin and Ethereum will always move together. Sometimes they won't. If they don't, it means there's some sort of a negative catalyst if it goes down on one of the two and a positive catalyst if they go up on one of the two. So when you look at your graphs and you look for different updates and possibly ones coming from me at CryptoTalkRadio.net, I'll do my best to try to highlight if there's a specific catalyst that I see that might have caused some things. Sometimes it's not obvious to tell. This whole business of the Ethereum Foundation, it was announced, so it is what it is. Now, the downside of this is that when they did this transaction, they got hit by MebBot. MebBot lost roughly about, you know, they, it was like 10,000 bucks. It wasn't like a significant amount, but the point is they got hit by MebBot doing this transaction as it happens, which means when these transactions occur, even the Ethereum Foundation themselves are not safe from the MebBots basically stealing liquidity from people. When this happens, and it happens all the time, so it's not new, but when this happens, there's a lot of volatility that comes along because you get the loss of liquidity, number one. Number two, as those get sold off, it may keep the price going down. I don't think anything will be done about it, but I call it out for what it is because it's a problem. The other piece was on friend.tech, which is kind of a social media cryptocurrency type deal. One of the users over there, 234 ETH was stolen from this person. So a lot of disruption happening on the Ethereum side very recently, which caused some major issues. Part of what caused some of the positive on the Bitcoin side was an announcement and nothing came of it yet, but an announcement, Bitcoin getting access potentially to smart contract capability, which I actually disagree with the concept, but I share it here. BitVM is the name of the organization. BitVM, there was a paper that was released talking about being able to execute these smart contracts on Bitcoin, but it's not that it changes Bitcoin itself, rather than it enables smart chain technology using Bitcoin's network, but Bitcoin itself does not change. This is a unique approach. I don't know that it's going to be able to do anything much, but it was intriguing to read the paper and kind of see what was going on. Multiple critics, mostly on the Bitcoin side, came out and said, this is extremely slow. And by the way, Bitcoin without lightning is extremely slow already. Extremely slow, extremely more expensive. It's way more complicated than Ethereum. It's not going to be worth. There's no value principle. Because if you're not able to transact more efficiently, then Ethereum is not going to do anything to get us past that hurdle. On the flip side, people think there needs to be some more utility to Bitcoin. I'm one who disagrees with this, but people think there needs to be more utility to Bitcoin. It needs to do more than what it is. And right now, it's too inflexible. You can't do anything with it. I personally believe that Bitcoin should be that one that does nothing. I think a lot of the feedback we're hearing is coming from frustration from people as to the price movement of Bitcoin and the fact that it seems to have stalled. But I don't think that the stall is related to a lack of utility. I think the, the fact is, is that right now we're not in the season for significant run-up. I also believe that Ethereum, when it went proof of stake, left itself open to a measure of centralization. I'm not going to go into details for this episode, but I'll suffice to say that when you get into proof of stake and you have the concept of validators as opposed to proof of work and the concept of miners, it does create a form of centralization. 
there may be a case to be made around negative sentiment with centralization, as in people may prefer assets that are purposely not centralized, especially when you talk about the Gary Gensels of the world. This has not been proven, so I'm making simply a statement of, of thought for you to consider. It may be possible right now, everything is down simply because there's a nervous sentiment overall. If we have a run-up, and it turns out that Ethereum is not able to run up nearly as well as it did before, but Bitcoin is able to go on the same run or greater, it may substantiate the theory that people are simply not on board with the proof-of-stake tokens. Now, I still believe that Ethereum is going to go on a run-up no matter what, but I'm simply giving you something to be thinking about, about proof-of-stake and proof-of-work, and at some point I'll do an episode dedicated to that distinction, just because I think it's good information to be thinking about. One other bit of news, it's not a big bit of news, but it's something I want to just talk about, and it's around the SEC. The SEC recently has a, they have a court case going with Coinbase and recently made a statement that was very interesting. It piqued people's ears. Essentially, quote, cryptocurrency assets have no inherent value. And I'm not going to dig into the rest of it, but I want you to think about something. If it's true that cryptocurrency assets have, quote, no inherent value, it confirms what I said to be the truth, which is cryptocurrency has no value unless and until you transact it. This is one of my earliest episodes that I talked about this. Part of the fallacy of thought around cryptocurrency is the idea that you see a number of valuation, which is essentially equivalent to the level of liquidity on the pair for whenever you trade it. So UST, it's pegged to a, a dollar. It's purposely pegged to a dollar. It can never have a value significantly greater or lesser than a dollar. It may go down to 99 cents or something, but it's not going to be like 50 bucks. It shouldn't be. But your Ethereum can be as valued as high as $1,500 or $3,000 or $7,000 or whatever. The quoted price for something, cryptocurrency, is nothing more than what somebody was able to offer and sell it for. But it doesn't mean anything because unless if you sell it out to fiat, it has no value. Cryptocurrency has no value unless and until you transact it. And I do mean to fiat. But if the SEC is making a statement now, it flies in the face of their message about securities because their whole chase after securities is the idea that somebody else might be getting enriched off of different assets. There's a middleman and that person is getting enriched off the transactions moving back and forth. But if it's true that they don't have any value, then what is the enrichment? It's a contradiction. Them making the statement might actually trap them in future cases because you can't have it both ways. Also, the IRS might be trapping themselves if they sign on to this, which I don't think they will, but if they did, how, what, can you, what are you taxing? If it has no value, what are you taxing? You can't tax zero value. They'll say, well, no, it's a gain. It's an unrealized gain. Unrealized gain must have a value. If it has a value, what SEC said is not the truth. And so I, I like and dislike that they said it because it's going to trap one or both of them. And I want you simply to be thinking about this statement because I think it's going to come up later in some other court case. The last piece I'll talk about here is around SHIB and Shibarium. Overall, it's, it's an overall statement that I want to make around SHIB and Shibarium because there are some recent transactions and some recent things and some recent sentiment shifts going on. Shitoshi Kasama 
came out recently and he said, ultimately, we have more work to do to get SHIB to where it needs to be and get Shabiram where it needs to be. We've got to do more than what we're doing. He didn't give specifics, but he just said, we've got to do more than what we're doing. We got to work harder. Duh. I would agree, but it's kind of duh. Shibarium has lost a lot of volume over the last, and I believe that's because the newness is gone. It's not that there's anything wrong with it. There's nothing. I'm in it, but the newness is gone, and you have to entice people to get on it, and they've not done anything to be able to do that. Well, then he came back and said, what we're going to think about doing is rethink our model for onboarding validators. We need to figure out how we increase the rewards this, but then we also need to make sure that we're a little bit more diligent about the people that we onboard into this so that the wrong people are not getting the increased rewards. Two parts. If they're increasing the rewards, I think that's fine because the staking rewards are crap right now. Two, if they're going to be more scrutinous about who they bring on, I think that's good. And what they described is that you're going to need to tie 10,000 bones you have to stake 10,000 bone in order to be a validator. I think it's a good threshold. I actually think it's a really good threshold. It's a little bit low, but I understand why. I think it's a really good threshold. And then they're going to increase the amount of rewards that are issued to validators as an enticement for them to get on board. I don't have any problem with this, but what I want to see, unfortunately not going to see, but what I'd like to see is more actual projects spitting up and being created that use Shibarium. And I feel that this is a failure of the way that they set this up. So it feels like they did it wrong to understand. You've got to entice people to use it. Right now, there's no incentive to use it. Just having this reward thing isn't enough. You've got to do more. What's the value? How do you, and I said this before, how are you going to be any different? How are you going to get somebody to use your blockchain versus some of the blockchain? Right now, it doesn't do anything that makes it any, they say it's faster. It's not really. So how are you going to be able to get past that? And I don't know that they have an answer. I, I honestly don't. Well, then separately, because of these announcements, as well as other transactions, turns out that many people, mostly whales, because it seems like the retail doesn't buy this. And I'll talk about this in a second. Mostly whales were increasing their positions in bone. They were stacking more bone. And for awful disclosure, while Leicester at CryptoTarRated.net is not a whale, quote-unquote, in bone, Leicester does hold a fairly significant position in bone, but I'm not a whale by any stretch of it. But whales are getting more into bone. They're getting more bone, and they're getting it, they're stacking it and stacking it and stacking it. And I don't think they're doing it for staking purposes. I think they're doing it for profit potential. They're doing it because they know as the price of bone goes down, it's going to be a significant run-up at some point later when it does hit a bull run. And the bottom is very near. The bottom is estimated to be somewhere about 79 cents. I disagree with that estimation. I think the bottom is much lower. I think the bottom is somewhere in about the early 75 cents-ish range just on looking at it. The point is we're seeing more people buy Bone. And remember, Bone is scarce. It only has 250 million tokens on it with a renounce. And the thought of it getting some on exchange at some point here soon, I think is causing people to run and rush towards it to stack it because when the price goes up, I mean, it's pretty easy. It's going to go to near $2. So if they stack it now, they're going to make a lot of money. Now I want to circle back on what I said, that it's whales that are doing this. And I'll wrap up. 
whales are stacking bone because whales understand what I've been saying to be the truth, which is the core coins can never steer you wrong. Bone is now one of the core coins because it's the gas token for Shibarium. Shibarium doesn't do anything yet, but it's still, still a core coin. And it benefits from transactions, it benefits from volume, and it benefits from sentiment. It holds its value, arguably much better than SHIB does. But most of the retail, and when I say retail, I'm speaking about people who are not whales. They're on SHIB because at some point over time from 2021 forward, people were convinced SHIB was going to be the future, SHIB was going to be the measure, SHIB was going to be their focus. That wasn't true. Initially it was. Later, it wasn't. Then it became a hopium situation. People were hoping SHIB would get some focus, that people would focus back on SHIB to get them back some of the money they lost after the Coinbase Pro fiasco. That wasn't really true. And you can hear Lucy and you can hear Shitoshi and you can hear anybody else talk about burns, burn, 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 the burn's the word. And I broke down a video on YouTube, and I do recommend you check it out, about why the burn is not really going to be the answer with this. And I would argue that SHIB is at this point, not later, but at this point, it's you're either going to long play it, as in you're going to hold it for multiple years, and I mean multiple, or you're just not going to buy into it because bone is the gas token. Leash is the reward token. They're trying to create some sort of way for SHIB to increase value. But even Shitoshi knows, and he's alluded to it, even Shitoshi knows that at the end of the day, they're not going to be able to do much with SHIB because it's too far gone, too much supply. That's just what it is. I'm not telling you to dump it. I'm not telling you to do anything with it. I'm explaining to you that if you're waiting on SHIB, either it's a long play and you just got to be cool with that. Don't wait for, okay, next year it's going to go to the moon, doop, doop, doop. It's not. There's too much freaking supply. So either you have to wait multiple years, and it could be minimum 10 years. I'm being realistic. Check my YouTube video. It does the math. SHIB's not going to go anywhere in the short term without something dramatically happening. Because look, even Bone can't go anywhere with a constrained supply because Shibarian doesn't do anything. And when Shibarian was at a higher volume than it is over a million transactions, you still didn't have significant price movement on Bone, even though it is constrained. So when you have a constraint and it can't go anywhere, what do you think is going to happen with SHIB? Nothing. That's my point. Not to discourage you. I'm being realistic. And I want you to understand. I want to have you think realistic here. Whales are buying SHIB. However, just because they're buying SHIB does not mean it's going to really go much of anywhere in the short term. It may go somewhere in the long term. That's why I say it's SHIB is a gamble. SHIB is one of those where you're rolling the dice because it's, it may or may not go somewhere. If it does, nobody knows where. Bone being constrained, if Bone had the same number of, because Bone has 250 million tokens, that means that if you had every single ship holder possible by Bone, Bone will be to the moon, do, do, do. But they're not buying Bone because Bone was never marketed. Bone was never put forward as that token. It was ship all along. That's why we're in this quandary. That's why you're not seeing positive price movement across the board because the team misrepresented what was going to be up front because they didn't have a plan. They didn't understand it. And then they shifted it because Shiv got too far down the weeds. And I talked about that in a different episode. In any, in any case, whales accumulating more and more bone tells me they know what I know, which is the core coins can never steer you wrong. And at some point it's going to go somewhere, 
Nobody knows where. Shiv's going to go somewhere. Nobody knows where. Everything's a gamble. And Shiv certainly is a long play. Big picture, I think we'll be okay, especially in 2024. If you're expecting something in 2023, I'm skeptical there is something. Could be, but I doubt it. Time will tell. I think the court case with the Caroline Ellison and everything else is not going to move significant needles. I think what's going to move the needle is the SEC case with Coinbase. I think the Israel is going to move the needle at least a little bit. And what's going on with Ethereum Foundation is going to move some things a little bit. Those are the key ones I see on the horizon.